appreciate that very much. Uh, turn your Bibles to the book of Peter, First Peter. As you do that, let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you for this, for this day that you've created. A day for us to worship you, to honor you, Lord. Or, uh, the, the first thing we do is, if we haven't done it already, Lord, we just give you of ourselves completely. We ask you to have complete control of us this morning. The Holy Spirit, have your way in us. If there any sin in our lives, anything that would hinder us from receiving your word or worship or whatever, Lord, we lay it before you and ask for your forgiveness. We are so grateful, grateful people, Father, that we have access to you all the time. So bless our time, Lord, guide my words, my thoughts. Um, thank you for the way you've created us all. I pray that you restrain my mind from going faster than my lips. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That is one of the things, I, how God has wired me. I remember when he first called me in the ministry, um, I was not a happy camper about it. I didn't know the Lord more than four months, and I kept saying, Father, I, you know, I stutter. But I stutter because my, my mind's going faster than my lips, or sometimes my lips are going faster than my mind. It creates a big problem. And so as, as a sales manager, there was times when I was just laughed at. And I've had to get past all of that to realize God's in control of that. Uh, last week, we talked about our hope. An incredible hope. It's a praise-filled hope. It's a, um, a proven hope. It's a protected hope. It it's definitely was a prophetic hope. Based upon our salvation, Peter was just saying we have so much to be thankful for in the midst, especially the midst of difficult times. We have all gone through difficult times. And we're going to be going through a lot more. Um, uh, the clash with culture, the clash just in life itself, and what life brings, what the Lord allows to come. We are going to face there. But in the midst of that, Maybe as, as I've gotten older, I've, have to, I've had to ask the question, how am I going to finish well in difficult times? P Peter addresses this, and let me just read you uh, the, the scripture. And I actually extended this sermon. Now, the, the gentleman in the RV, um, the AV booth, said that I had two hours on my battery, so I'll try not to go the full two hours. I'm joking. But one of the things I've been blessed with this year as I have my time with God is taking a, a breadth of Scripture at the same time and capturing the essence of what was God was trying to say through that. So follow with me. Chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit, Fix your hope, there's that hope again, completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were years in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior. 
because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address the Father, if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile ways of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him as believers in God was raised from the dead and give and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope, there's hope again, are in God. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flashes, fleshes like grass, and all the glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the world, this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all, all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, um, Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him, as to a living stone which has been rejected by them, by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for, for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builder rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to their doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, this is a mouthful. <laughs> this is, um, if you, you know, I, I, I could take a verse a week. It's that in-depth, each of them. If you've ever, um, I'm sure you've all attempted devotions, and maybe you, some of you do them regularly. But if you ever do them, do them with, try doing it with a commentary one time and just glean from there what other people's insights. It, it would just help you understand the depth and the words that are going on here. Um, the church had been scattered. They were like aliens. They were being persecuted. They were being put to death. And Peter writes to them to encourage them 
talking about your, it's first talking about your hope, how this incredible hope you and I have resulted in our salvation. We have an eternal hope. But in this perspective, Peter comes to this point, and I believe he gives us three specific things for us to remember in difficult times in light of our hope, in light of our great salvation that's been, the, the, the grace of God that's been expe- um, extended to us through Christ. He gives us three things you and I have been called to do. Now, and sometimes it's easier for us to understand what we're called to do. Some of us like duty more than we like devotions. Some of us like duty more than we like delight. There's something to do. Peter here is speaking to the people, and he said these three things you're called, uh, called to be a part of and called to, to do in the midst of difficult times is, first of all, a reminder that you're called to holiness, you're called to love, and you're called to minister. If you want to see an overview of this, that's where I would take you. In, in understanding that you're called to holiness, he reminds us that it's Christ appearing in, the, in this call to holiness. He says, therefore, verse 13, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The good news is that Jesus is coming. He's going to come again. And um, we can certainly rest in that amidst the difficult times. Not only is Christ appearing, but he also gives us a reminder of God's holiness. He goes, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours and in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. In the Christian community in the last couple dozen years, believers have been more concerned about their rights than they have about what God is asking them to do. We want our right to do this, our right to do that. We don't want to give up this, we don't want to give up. But God's called us to holiness. Holiness is, is, is a significant thing. We have been declared holy at the cross. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our imperfections. That's been all paid for. He doesn't see our inadequacies, our unworthiness. That's all under the blood. We have been declared acceptable and holy before the Father, but through Christ. That's good news. But now Peter's talking about our behavior. And you could say he's meddling or what he's doing. First he warns us not to be conformed to this world, not to be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. When you think of those, if you could think back when you were a non-Christian, there's a lot of things we did just simply out of ignorance. We didn't know any better. But for those of us that know better, that those of us that have been growing in our faith, there are things that sometimes we still do that we know we should be laying aside, but we're not. Peter's saying to be careful about that. Like the one who called you, he said, be holy also in all your behavior. It's, it's interesting, if I had to label this whole section, I'd label it with the word obedience. Uh, because... He, there, there's a part of a Christian life where we're to be obedient. Uh, Jesus said this in John 14, 16. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Not if you love me, you'll go to church. Uh, but 
not that church is bad or church is, we shouldn't go there or make it a point to go there, but he's looking for our obedience. He's looking for us to obey what he's asked of us. And here, Peter is reminding us we are called to holiness. In Second Peter, chapter 3, um, he, he talks about the fact that he is coming again, but he said that the day of the Lord, which will come like a thief in the and the heavens will pass away, and the roar of the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and the works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because which the heavens will be destroyed and burning, and the elements will mount, uh, melt with intense heat. But according to the, his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth. Um, there's, there's a sense where we need to be living in the light of his coming. We're to be prepared. Matthew 24, 13 says that. There's no doubt about, about being prepared of that. But in our Christian life, there's times where the, the idea of um, the word of God and what's asking of us, we have a collision going on between the flesh and what God is asking of us. But Peter's saying here, we are to be holy and we are to walk with him in that way. 1 John 2, 29 to chapter 3 says, See how great the love of the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and as it has not appeared as to yet we will be, we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we'll see him just as he is, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. One of our ambitions in life is God is in the midst of transforming us to be more Christ-like, but we are to follow him in obedience. And that's to be holy in our behavior. I, I don't know what issues you have in your life. I've certainly had my issues. But to bring those captive to what the Word of God is saying and what Christ is asking of us and how the Spirit is convicting us. talks about his appearing talks about God's holiness. The other thing he addresses here, in, starting in verse 17 to the end of chapter 1, is God's judgment. It's not a good subject. It's not a fun subject. Nobody wants to be judged. We know that judgment will happen first with the household of faith. It will happen to us. Our works will be burned up. We know what 1 Corinthians 3 says. But here... Um, let me read this again. If you address the Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. I don't always do that. My behavior sometimes can be reckless because I'm thinking more of myself than others, more of myself rather than who's watching me. Um, it's, it's that kind of a thing. And, and, and I know you are too. Uh, you and I are human, and we have those eternal battles, but sometimes those outward battles too. But the reminder that God's judgment's going to take place. Not a judgment of fear like God's going to reject me. That has nothing to do with it. Our, our salvation has been sealed through the presence of the Holy Spirit. But in a sense, we need to be living in a way that's going to honor him, who through him, verse 21 says, are believers in God who raised him from the dead 
and gave him the glory so that their faith and hope are in God. It goes on, since you have been, since you have in obedience to the truth, the word, purified your souls for sincere love for the brethren, fervently love one another. Just a fascinating passage. We're called the holiness, and now he switches as he goes through talking about Christ appearing, talking about God's holiness, God's judgment, because we will be judged. And this is where sometimes when I'm counseling, um, I've counseled young people, I've counseled just my own children. You know, why isn't God fair? As if he owes us something. Uh, God isn't a sugar daddy in the sky that's going to give us exactly what we want. He knows what we should need. But in the same token, we need to be thankful for that hope we have for the cross and for the mercy and grace that was given to us in Christ. Um, one of the p- things here on judgment that I think, and, and, and as I was reading, I was stumbling over words because I've underlined so much in this passage. I'm like, oh, what does that word say? I kind of got a straight line and got squiggled through it. But precious blood. Um, there's something about the blood of Christ that is really precious to those that believe in Christ. Without that blood, there would have been no forgiveness. Without the shedding of his blood, you and I would not be sitting here. We wouldn't be redeemed. Why even have church? He was not only died at the cross, but he rose from the dead to give us life. God will one day come back for his church. But God doesn't look at us and condemns us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Peter's not saying that here, but he says, while you're here on earth, Live in a way that's going to honor him. Live in a way that's going to display who he is. A call to holiness. There's so much more I can say here. Cross-reference the scriptures. It's just a blessing of a study. He goes on, though, and he says, there's also a call on our lives to love other people. Um, Starting in verse um, 22 through chapter 2, verse 3, it says, since you have an obedience... For the truth, purify your souls um, for a sincere love for the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, and that is through the living and enduring word of God. There, Peter's going again and bringing it back to the reality of our redemption as the motivation for loving other people. Um, I don't know if you've met people in your life that are unloving. I'm sure there's times when you're not unloving. There's times where I'm not unloving. I I once told my congregation when I first went to be their pastor, I said, there's things you're going to learn about me you're not going to like. I'm sorry to say. But there's also things I'm going to learn about you I'm not going to like. And one of it is how we take care of each other. When we start churches anywhere, the first kind of person we go for is what we call the de-church. They've been disappointed. They've been discouraged. They've been, um, just put whatever adjective you want with the letter D. Um, It's amazing the number of people that have left the church and not come back. They haven't left God necessarily, but they've left the church because of how they've been treated. Jackie and I visited a church we planted 22 years ago. We had that wedding in Colorado Springs I had to do, we went back there and we decided to go to that church. Um, I have not been in that church for at least 20 years. We walked in and there's only one person 
who's still attending that church from when we started it. We started within, when I was, the last time I was in there, the church was about 300 people, and right now they're all gone. They're all different, except for one person, and bless her heart, she's kind of losing her faculties. She can't really think clearly or remember clearly. But it was a blessing to be there. It's still going. That was good news for me. But we sat on a, a chair. They meet in a YMCA. We sat on a chair, and one seat had a bulletin on it. And a, after the worship was done, one of the people, I don't think she was on the worship team. I don't know where she was. But she came around, and she bent over, because Jackie sat in the chair that had the bulletin, and she made a comment about us taking her bulletin. Now think about this a minute. And we, we sat there thinking, you know, we've been through this rodeo before, so we, we, we've, we, we've seen um, non-loving remarks and things. Would you say to a visitor, you shouldn't have taken my bulletin? We didn't know. We, we, we hadn't sat there for years. And the last church I pastored um, is a farming community, so remember one of my elders coming in and he all you know in in rural communities everybody usually sits in the same pew maybe you do that but this guy would sit in the pew and he would he he would he'd lean over to the side he'd pat it here that was a signal for his wife to sit there he'd lean over this way he'd pat here that was a sign for his children to sit there and their families and he had all this space between them. See, in a farming community, people like space. So if you've ever heard the word in a church, you have the 80-20 problem. If you're 80% full, you've got to either go to another service or do something to welcome other people. In this church, it probably was the 70-30 rule because the rural people were taking up a lot of space. But when somebody came in, it was very evident that was their pew and you can't come in next to them. We, we, we do these unintentional things and, and, and sometimes maybe we've just had a nasty morning and we get snippy with somebody or whatever it is, but we convey to people or maybe we don't like them. We don't like their, their, maybe their weight, maybe their size, how they dress, and we make comments behind their backs and we wonder why people leave the church. Now, I don't know how many, most of the churches Jackie and I have attended that we've started, they don't recognize us. And so when we come in, I could probably, the majority of the churches we walk in don't even recognize me if I come through the door. I don't know if it's my stature. I haven't even said anything yet. But just think about that. Hospitality, loving people. Peter's saying here, be fervent in your love for one another. The best thing you can do as a congregation, and, and so far I've seen you do this well, is to embrace people, engage people, and love on people. I mean, we've, we've even had to have classes in churches on how to build relationships with people because we live in a day where people don't know how to do that anymore, especially young people. Uh, they can be pretty lonely. Suicides are up. Uh, Facebook and Instagram and stuff are not relationships. And so we, you know, in fact, more people are concerned about what their peers think than they are about what God thinks in there. Peter says here, fervently love one another from your heart. 
boy, that's different than being nice. You're asking me to be involved a little bit more with my heart and to be enthusiastic. It's, it's different. He said, for you have been born again. He goes on and then he describes the word of God and how everything will come away. And how we preach this to you. But chapter 2, verse 1, he said, therefore, this is how you love people. You put aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. That's where we start. In other words, we have to be nice. And sometimes we have to take a... When we were raising our family, the people that mentored us taught us something what we affectionately called TRCs, throne room checks. So in our family, our kids knew if we told them to go take a TRC, we would laugh about it. But as a family, we knew we needed a throne room check because we were on the throne and Jesus Christ wasn't on the throne. Maybe it's how we responded to each other. It it got to be fun, but it was... I've even had my children say, Dad, you need a TRC. You know, it's, it's, it's just, just a reality in our humanness. But there's times where Peter's asking us to put aside some of these things about us. He says, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now, the kindness of the Lord in Scripture refers to repentance. If you experience the kindness of God, Romans 2, 4, it means that you've experienced repentance. That's the kindness of God. Isn't God being nice to you? In his kindness, he's drawing you to a place to repent. Repent. Now, and I, and I love this. I think as a pastor, one of the difficulties of pastoring people is how easily it is for us to become dull of hearing. Have you ever heard that term, dull of hearing? In Hebrews 5, Hebrews speaks this. It says concerning, it's 5, 11 through 14. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since we have become dull of hearing. For though by the time you ought to be teachers, you have need again of someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained, their senses trained to discern good and evil. You want to grow in your faith? You need to be in the word of God on a consistent basis. And I'm not saying you have to do it every day. I have a really good friend, and every three days he spends a couple hours in the Scripture. I don't care what you do, but the importance for us to grow in our faith and to be changed and transformed is we need to be in the Scriptures. And that's what Peter's reminding us here. It's so important. The way we get our attitudes right, we have to be in the Scriptures. That's just the reality here. Otherwise, we become dull of hearing. And then we can really become like very carnal people. Uh, remember when our one of our middle son, I'm trying to think which son it was, our middle son, years down, maybe I should, this is going to be on the internet. Our middle son, he was newly married and he had, he and his wife read through the Bible together as a new couple. And it changed him. 
he had to read the whole scripture and certainly not one sitting but after he had finished reading the scriptures he called Jackie and I and he got us on the phone and he said um, I need to ask your forgiveness I said okay you know what'd you do I'm thinking you know am I is there some secret here and he goes he said I want to ask you to forgive me because I've been trying to present my carnality as acceptable he was living the Christian life. Whenever I asked him if he was reading his Bible, it was always Philippians. But God got a hold of his heart, and he realized that his carnality wasn't acceptable. There are times when you and I, and, and I mean me too, we can become carnal in our responses to people, and we end up not being very loving. So in this segment of Scripture, Peter says, therefore, verse 13, Therefore, in other words, based upon the salvation, based upon our eternal hope, based upon we have so much to be grateful for, he calls us to holiness, he calls us to love. He said, gird your minds for action and respect your salvation. He says, gird your minds. That's the bottom line here. How we care for people. Do they know that we care? And we're not trying to convince people that our persona is right or carnal. Because again, we all have that. These are good things, and it's, it's not something we should be um, just learn from it and grow in it. And then Peter takes us to the last segment here. And, 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 and this is the section I wanted to touch on as I leave you and... If you're going to call Jim, I probably won't be back, but I really wanted you to see this. If anything is encouraging, it's this next segment. He gives us a call to minister. He calls the people in the midst of difficult times to remember they were called to minister. Minister to God and minister to other people. He starts out on verse 4 of chapter 2, and he says, Coming to, to him, that's Christ, as a living stone which is rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. I am, you are. We are two things. We are choice and we're precious in the sight of God. Now, when you looked in the mirror this morning, I would bet very few of us ever looked at ourselves being choice and precious. But in the view of our Heavenly Father, you are choice and you're precious in the sight of God. Maybe it's been since we were a child and our, our grandparents or our parents told us just how precious they were to them. Think about it for a minute. I mean, to me, they, it's, it's such an encouraging thing being said to the, to the body of Christ. We are choice and we're precious. It says also that we're living stones. There, there, there's a temple being built here. It isn't this church building. You and I are the temple. We're the living stones. The cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And he said, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. To me, that just, it's, um, it's so encouraging. God is at work in us, 
changing us, transforming us to be like Christ so that we would be really that spiritual temple. And together, the importance of all of us together is incredible as the body. Uh, we all know about the gifts and if one is missing, and how, but that's really true. There's something about us together as the body, this local body here, and the importance you are to the community. And you are choice and you are precious. And God is building you into a spiritual house to represent him. It goes on and talks about um, this cornerstone. He also says in verse 7, if you believe in this, you'll never be disappointed. Um, I never look forward to being disappointed. I don't like it. I don't handle disappointment very well sometimes either. But this to me is a truth I can, I can hang on. If I believe in him, if I walk with him, I won't be disappointed. Again, I'm choice. I'm precious. God is building me up, just like he's doing you. That's the significance of what God has done at the cross. Peter's encouraging the, the people here, and he says, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. There are people who stumble over the reality of Jesus Christ and what that would mean for them. They are offended by it. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but what, who is that singer, Jackie, that did, a, that did a, uh, an album on a stone of stumbling? Michael Card. He has a whole album on this. Very deep, rich words but pointing out and taking back to this particular scripture. And people stumble at the cross. They, they can't get their head around it. They don't want to embrace it. Coming to the cross is going to bring suffering. It's going to bring difficulty. It's going to be giving up things that we thought were important to us. Uh, Jesus talked about picking up your cross and following him. It, it's a matter of obedience. And we aren't in control. So that all that becomes a rock of offense, a stumbling to those that would trust Christ. And then he finishes this and he says, but you, here are several things. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession. To me, it's just incredible. I mean, that's God saying that to us each here individually. Too many of us stumble in our Christian faith, and it's, it's, we, either we don't feel that we like, like we're bad enough, we're not like those other people. Um, sometimes we, we, we just grow into being more self-righteous. God doesn't want us to be self-righteous. We're declared righteous, but we get self-righteous because we think, well, we're not like them. Well, yeah, given the right circumstances, we would be. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Same with you. We have a lot to be thankful for, a lot to rejoice in. When you looked in the mirror, not only were you choice and you're precious, but you were chosen, 
You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession. Did you feel that this morning? I didn't. I know that to be true. Now I need to appropriate those truths and meditate on them and understand the significance of being a child of God. In the midst of difficult times, that may be all that that helps us get through those difficult times, is to realize that. We have a loving Father, a precious Savior. The Spirit of God lives and dwells. God's presence lives within us. And we're choice and we're precious. And we've been called out to be His. And it says, so that, and when you get, and again, those of you who like to know what you have to do, there are those like us around, it says, so that you proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Your best weapon, and I use the word weapon, against the world and the culture is the word of your testimony of what God has done in your life. It isn't the amount of scripture you've memorized. It's how has Christ changed you. Remember, Satan himself is before the Father accusing you and I day and night. We're never really attacked by Satan. Maybe one of his little hirelings, but Satan is before the Father, Revelation says, accusing us day and night. And Jesus is there and said, we were able to overcome because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of our testimony. The power is in the gospel, but you're the living gospel. I'm the living gospel. When people hear how God changed you, that's transformational. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. God wants to use you to proclaim what he has done in you to other people around you. That's how lives get changed. And so, just to encourage you, you are a precious choice servant, a priest. You can come to God yourself. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a teacher. You just need to be in submission to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, allowing him to use your life as you proclaim. And he says, For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's good news. One of my favorite verses, and maybe I've mentioned this to you, is Hebrews 4.16. Whenever, um, I, I pray just about every day. Said Father, I come to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in a time of need, and this is a time of need. It isn't when things are just difficult. Sometimes it's just when I'm going to speak or I'm going to talk, meet somebody new I haven't met, or I'm going to do it. Father, I need you. But you and I have that access all the time. That to me, I just love. And it's God working through me in spite of me. Because, it's again, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God doing something through you. You would have no idea of how he's going to use your word or your story. Your story has so much power. So Peter's saying in difficult times, he said, remember these three things. You're called to holiness. So get your behavior right. You're called to love. Make sure you love from the heart. And you're called to minister. Why? 
Because God looks at us differently than we look at ourselves. You are choice and precious in God's sight. You are a chosen soldier of the cross. You are a chosen priest that has complete access at any time. That's why we have such an incredible hope. That's why we have so much to be thankful for. Even when life doesn't make sense. Even when we're so overwhelmed and we can't see straight. And there are those times. But through the tears and through the brokenness, we have that at our disposal. That's the God we serve. To me, I don't know about you, but that just rings the bell in my tower. That's just good news. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time, and thank you for your precious word that you've given us in Christ. And thank you for that eternal hope we have. Lord, we ask for your your favor and your continued blessing on each of us here. And as a new season happens in our lives and possibly this church, Lord, that you'll continue to shape us, that we would be the people you've wanted us to be. We do love you and thank you for your eternal love for us in Christ. Amen.